Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Well, hey everyone, welcome along to the show. I'm super glad that you could join me because this is another episode which has been gleaned from the audio of a conference that I attended recently called the Philanthropy Summit 2019, The Future of Trust. And a special shout out to Sue and Yvonne at Philanthropy New Zealand who gave permission for this to be recorded and shared in this way so that those who weren't in the room can still benefit from the content. And this particular breakout session was called Transforming to a Human Economy, the Future of Business. And it features Louise Aitken, Christina Bellis, and Shay Wright. If you want to find out more about each of them, and in particular about the great work that Akina is doing in relation to social enterprises, then check out the show notes. And we're not going to delay, we're going to get straight into this, but if you do enjoy this episode, then have a look at some of the earlier ones as well, because there's more than 100 episodes now, and there's lots of interviews with people doing inspiring things, ranging from charities to for-profit businesses, and a full range of other people in between. There's also a reference in here to a report called Structuring for Impact, and I actually recorded that as an audiobook earlier, so go back about seven or eight episodes and you'll be able to find that easily. Now let's get into this breakout session dealing with the fascinating topic of what the human economy is, how social enterprise fits into that, and what it all means for the future of business. Some good work was done by our friends at Burl, and uh, we believe that the social enterprise sector is around about 3,711 organisations, contributing over a billion dollars to the economy. This isn't a bunch of small um, startups of young millennials trying to do good. These are established, successful businesses that have been in the economy for up to 70, 80 years and ride on the shoulders of those who have gone before us in Aotearoa. Uh, Māori enterprise, as Shay will talk about, um, is a fundamental model of what social enterprise has been um, and for, for many generations, where the people and the land are at the core of that business and the profit and the trading enables the benefit uh, to be uh, understood and shared. Uh, The one um, data point that's missing from the slide is probably 10, 100 times, maybe 1,000 times bigger than the 1 billion number. And that's the impact that social enterprise delivers. Uh, We don't know what that is, and we're working very, very hard on trying to figure out that. Um, because all too often, and particularly in the charitable space, we spend too much time focusing on the numbers of, for example, charities, what they contribute to the economy, and we fail to realise or even celebrate what's the most important number is what's the impact that they're delivering, what's the positive change that they've enabled to our society, to our communities and to our land. And what we want to do is start talking about that number. Because if we do that, we change the influence that the 3,711 plus organisations like the ones who you'll hear about um, from today are actually doing in our economy. Um, So that's what Akina is all about. Um, We do that in a number of different ways. Um, Social enterprises and organisations who deliver impact uh, need, in our view, three key things. Uh, They need capability support. 
uh, not only on the impact side, um, but they also need support to be financially sustainable, um, to grow and scale. Uh, and that is often just what normal businesses need. Um, there is a, a great conversation going on globally in the social enterprise sector that we need to stop talking about being business-like. We need to start talking about being business. And we need the same things that many businesses need. We need the support of uh, advisors and professional services and people to help us understand how to be uh, better at the financial side. And we also need help to understand and grow our impact and understand how to improve the impact that we're having on the societies in which we operate. Um, the, the second thing that we need, like any other normal business, uh, is access to capital. Uh, to scale and grow, you, you need some capital to help you along that way. And uh, we were very proud last year to launch New Zealand's first impact investment fund. I spoke about it at an event last night um, to a bunch of institutional investors and said how hard it was to raise the capital. Uh, we raised just under $9 million, um, from 36 investors, um, some who are here uh, at this conference, um, and God, it was hard. Um, the first thing we had to do was educate people what impact investing was before they opened up their wallets, even if you know, they said, well, come back to us when you show it's successful. Um, but we really had to be able to demonstrate to people that an investment in impact is actually something that we sh should be all doing. We should expect a financial return, of course, if that's what we're aiming for. But for every dollar that we invest, why shouldn't we receive a financial, uh, social or environmental outcome? And how can we make that mainstream? So we've done two investments in our fund. Um, I never thought in my life um, I would have anything to do with seaweed, um, but we've invested in a seaweed company, which is very cool, and I'm now having really odd conversations with CEOs of fishery companies about how we can align with what they want to do in the seaweed space. Um, and we've also invested in a technology company that delivers uh, health outcomes for people with um, uh, severe um, health issues. Um, so that's the second bit, so capability first and then um, uh, investment. And really importantly, as a social enterprise, as an organisation that trades, you need a market in which to trade in. Uh, you can't just go up and knock on the door of the big guys and say, can you buy my thing because I deliver impact? We needed a concerted, focused program in order to do that. And last year we launched a program called Ford, uh, and that is to facilitate uh, the buying and selling of goods and services that deliver impact. Uh, we brought together 12 foundation buyers who, as you can see from the slide, have a purchasing power of 27 billion. Um, that's quite a lot. <laughs> And what we're really excited about is even the percentage that could go to deliver social and environmental impact. What we have to do on the other side of that is build the capability and readiness of those organisations to enter supply chains. Uh, and that's hard, because not only do you have to have a good and service that is as good, if not better, than what your competitors have, but you better be able to articulate your impact, because that's the stickability. Because organisations like the Fonterras, the ANZs, the SAPs, the, um, the Warehouse, all of these organisations who have entered our supply chain, they've said, we know it's good, but we need to know why it's good. We need to be able to consolidate and report this impact in order for us to continue 
to have social procurement within our supply chains. So that's pretty exciting for us. Um, if you know anyone who has a significant supply chain, please tell them to contact me because we want to get to 50 billion by the end of the year. Um, one of my KPIs with my board. So um, we're hoping to increase that number by 10, uh, 10 billion next week with the signing on of um, another significant corporate. So anyone with $10 billion of procurement spend, I'll buy you a beer later on. Um, the other thing that we're doing um, in order to be able to change this conversation around impact is being a bit bold, like our name means. Um, and we thought, well, it's not just good enough having a partnership with government. You've got to leverage that partnership. So with the support of um, some extraordinary lawyers, one who's sitting just here, uh, we commissioned a piece of research and we presented it uh, just before Easter. Um, we took the challenge from Minister Parker who said, I understand that the charity's structure isn't right for social enterprises. It's not the right model uh, when you are a trading organisation. But we, I think the companies act and the, the company structure is fine. And he said in the letter, prove me wrong. So we did. Um, we did a deep dive with um, 20 social enterprises and understood what challenges they had uh, based on the legal structure that they selected. Um, Organisations like Akina, we had to have both. We have a limited liability company and we have a, a, a charitable trust. And that's really expensive. Um, we pay about $25,000 a year in auditing um, bills, um, let alone what it costs us in man hours and our accountancy bills. Um, and as a small organisation, that's not sustainable. Uh, we've been helping organisations through some extraordinary pro, pro bono support that we get, and sometimes it's $40,000 for them to set up the legal structure that's right for them. That's just not ac acceptable. It's just not possible for many organisations. So what we did is we not only proved what the problem was, and of course you're never going to let the opportunity um, um, you know, pass you by without telling government what the solution is. Um, so we've proposed a change to the Companies Act. Uh, whereby impact is recognised and it's a status for New Zealand businesses who can demonstrate that impact is at the core of what they do, that it's governed and that you can damn well prove your impact. So we're hoping to go on a journey with the New Zealand government over the next couple of months um, with the support of MB, uh, the support of uh, DIA, Treasury, IRD, the lot of them, um, with maybe the Treasury thrown in there as well, to understand how this is possible and why is it time to do that. And the most important thing that's happening in, um, in my view in New Zealand this year is the Living Standards Framework. This is the superpower for impact enterprises. This is the language in which we can use to demonstrate how as trading businesses we are delivering to what the society and the planet need. It's the language in which we can prove that to government. We're not going to government for a handout. We don't need grant funding. We need their market. We need them to provide access to the right forms of capital when that's appropriate. And we need them to be providing the capability support so that social enterprise and impact enterprises aren't just 3,711, they're 300,000. They're not contributing a billion dollars to the economy. They're contributing 500 billion. So have a look on our website. Um, talk to this extraordinary man, Stephen, um, who helped us with the research. If we enable this in our economy, we're demonstrating that this is the new way we should 
act as an economy. This whole dynamic between making money on one side of the coin and giving it uh, on the other is no longer appropriate. It hasn't worked to the degree that it needs to. It's not enough anymore for government and philanthropy to think that they need to solve this alone. Business has a significant part of that. Um, and in our mind, impact enterprises are the epitome of how you can use a market to do good. So what we're hoping for um, is a legacy of, um, of being bold um, to enable organisations like Christina's and Shay's to thrive uh, so that we have choices about where we spend our money. We have choices where we invest our money and we also have choices as to where we work. And if those three things come together, we will see a significant change in our economy and we term it the human economy. So I'll leave it there and pass over to Shay and uh, or to Christina first and then on to Shay. And then we've got a bit of an exercise um, after that to really think about what is at the heart of this and it's always going to be impact. So tēnā koutou katoa and I'll pass over to my friend Christina. Kia ora koutou. Um, ko Devil Te Maunga, ko uh, Sawyer's Te Awa, ko Kanata Te Roto, ko Christina Bellis Tokuingua. Um, I'm Christina Bellis and I head up Thank You Payroll. Thank You Payroll, we are in the business of payroll and P-A-Y-E intermediary, which means that we file all of your payroll related taxes to inland revenue. But first and foremost, we see ourselves as in the business of generosity. We are a software-as-a-service company with our core work providing small to medium enterprises and registered charities with a beautifully designed payroll software, and we keep them all compliant by doing that filing to the government. But we use our business as a platform to create impact, increasing social and environmental wealth and well-being. Um, we apply the commercial strategies of business, but with a triple bottom line approach social, environmental, and financial, or people, planet, and profit. And we put that purpose and that profit side by side. So this is the why we do what we do. Um, I'm just gonna briefly run you through our, our history. Um, we are one of the smaller um, businesses. We've been around for 10 years and growing pretty quickly. So our calculations showed quite early on that uh, a government subsidy that was available for intermediaries was actually generous enough that we could provide that service for free to our clients, to the small and medium uh, enterprises and the charitable trusts that actually met the threshold of that subsidy. And that would offer them the ability to grow their business and it would save them time, it would save them money, and it would actually save them a lot of stress and complexity. And if any of you have ever run payroll, it's stressful and complex with the Holidays Act. We were also taking 25 cents of every $2 subsidy that we were getting from the government and we were giving it to charity. From the environmental perspective, um, we calculate and offset our business emissions, we mitigate wherever possible, and we're constantly looking for ways to improve our procurement platform, um, buying products and services that we need in our business from ethical providers and other social and impact enterprises wherever possible. We also host an annual tree planting event, inviting our employees, families, our clients, and our partners to come out and join us. 
and we've always, on the financial side, we have shareholders, and that's partly to do with the capital that um, Louise was mentioning, and we've always had an investment um, strategy in which that we anticipate a profit that we can both return the profit into the business to help it grow, but also provide an ROI to those shareholders who've actually invested in our vision. Now, the road hasn't always been easy, as it generally isn't for a small business that many of you might know. Um, we grew really slowly in the first three, three years. We were bootstrapping, and we didn't really have much mar money for marketing until Lonnie Evans came on board as the first CEO, and she really started seeding the vision and the value and the opportunity to key networks around the country, which for us were accountants and bookkeepers in that space of payroll who could get it out to their clients. We relied very heavily on word-of-mouth marketing, and that did us really well. And in 2014 to 17, our client base grew by about 800%. We were like ducks. We were, you know, really smooth on that surface, going really quickly, and our feet pedaling like mad underneath to keep up. The inland revenue said that we were the fastest-growing intermediary, and people would argue that that was because we were offering a free service compared to our competitors. But what they didn't quite understand was that that free was part of our philanthropic giving. That was how we chose to return that money to the businesses, to charities, to the environment. Um, we also started the Thank You Charitable Trust, which is a unique grant giving, although I'm gonna change that to gift giving organization, um, to help distribute those charitable donations. Now, Thank You Charitable Trust is a completely separate organization from us because in Aotearoa currently, as you just heard, we have for-profit and we have not-for-profit, and there is not a space in between to have both. Um, we... We had to change our model a few times, as you do, because nobody actually trusted free as well. There was a lot of people who were like, uh-uh, there's got to be a catch, there's got to be a hidden cost, there's something that's not right there. And they didn't take the time to have a korero with us to understand that it was actually their money, it was the, you know, your tax money that was helping to fund through this initiative. Um, so what we did is we put in very, very nominal fast turnaround fees, which actually placed a value on the service. You could still do it for free if you used a two-day turnaround, but you could do it faster by paying about 50 cents per employee that you wanted to pay. People saw a value, they were like, cool, they're legit. But that didn't quite meet what we were trying to do, so we said, we're going to start a thing called regular giving, in which if you were a client, you could donate a certain amount to a charity every month, and we would waive all your fees, and you could do everything again for free, trying to foster the pay-it-forward model. So we were getting back to free, charities were winning, the client also got the feel-good aspect. So building an impact-focused business for us has meant that to date, we've saved not-for-profits an estimate, well, close to a million dollars right now because we're providing that service for free. Not-for-profits at the moment are about 15% of our client base, so that number is way higher for the amount of money that we've put back into businesses who use our service as well. We've given over $250,000 directly to community initiatives through the Thank You Charitable Trust, and we have planted over 1,000 trees and carbon sink initiatives and have another one coming up pretty soon. We are accredited carbon neutral, we are a living wage employer, 
And we've also lent our voices to the Climate Leaders Coalition. And I guarantee you we're probably the smallest business on that coalition alongside the likes of Air New Zealand and Zed Energy. But we think it's really important that our voices and all voices are represented, are represented because um, we all are working towards a tomorrow that's healthy and thriving. So we also have more than 8,000 clients and growing at the moment who are part of that impact. Every time they run payroll through our system, we actually make the impact go way wider in these ways um, than simply moving numbers around on a banking screen. And I was recently asked at an event how people could know what businesses were actually using Thank You Payroll because they wanted to support those businesses who were supporting us, which I thought was delightful. And, I, and it's not that all the businesses that use us are impact businesses or impact enterprises, but it's the fact that we're trying to create a network of support that goes much deeper and further than just a pro purchasing a product or a service. So as we were growing, we had to iterate and change, which is a bit easier in a small startup, but being committed to distributing all that wealth, we didn't have a lot of disposable income um, at our fingertips, and our tech was slower to scale than our competitors, who were also getting that subsidy and charging for their clients. Um, but Smart Business does careful projections and plannings for these scenarios, and we were progressing on a pretty perfect trajectory until um, the government suddenly announced changes to payroll legislation, which came in last month that you might know, which threw a spanner in our plans. And we needed capital in order to meet those changes quickly because there was an opportunity that that presented to us. Um, growth grants weren't really accessible because we weren't in a space of groundbreaking R&D or we didn't meet a threshold of revenue. And so after looking at all our options, we chose to do an equity crowdfunding campaign, which was another big and expensive and time-consuming endeavor to undertake. But we benefited from an investment readiness grant that was provided by the Akina Foundation that helped us and we started a really intense campaign which ended with almost half a million dollars in capital and 167 new shareholders. Now reporting back to our shareholders includes a heavy lean on the good impact stories right alongside the business growth because it's that growth that allows us to do the impact and to tell our story and to tell our journey. And to what we've got is those 8,000 clients and growing at our fingertips, and my goal is to help them and inspire them to make incremental changes towards reducing their own emissions or practicing better procurement policies or helping them to increase social um, wealth in their own businesses. So how does philanthropy fit into all of this? I know there are some constraints around um, where some community trusts can give their money. They, or, you know, can only do it for not-for-profits. All these things might change in the future. As Louise was saying, there are outdated um, legislation that we need to really scrutinize. But we threw around some ideas, and there are things like kickstart the crowdfunding foundation um, campaign, if you're able to, but sharing those knowledge, those skills, and I'm repeating some stuff that you were saying there because it's really important. We are operating as businesses, but with the impact at our core. So doing secondments to those kinds of businesses that are growing because ultimately they're gonna distribute that wealth well further into the society and the economy. Um, you could offer secondments for marketing, business support, budgeting or forecasting. You could share skills and knowledge, invest in building the capabilities of your teams. 
mostly you could purchase their products and or their services or become a service provider and of course introducing them to networks and customers. So the future, as we're talking a lot about this conference, how you see the future, my future is a very generous future. And there are a growing number of businesses in that impact area and who are building towards the human economy. I'm pushing for a world where we're able to choose products and services that are aligned with our values. Thank You Payroll offers payroll and taxes, but we're in the business of generosity. And I would like to know why I can't you know, go to a, my dentist and have the same thing or choose my next car from a dealership that does that kind of thing. Everything can actually go further. There is so much wealth to share around. And we just need to um, help all of those uh, impact investment businesses scale up so that they can provide um, the benefit of the future human economy. So take the plunge. I will pass over to Shay, who is going to talk us uh, the story about um, Te Whare Huka Huka. Oh, kia ora tato. Um, just before I start, how's the echo sounding down the back there? Up here it's terrible. So how's the audio over there? Is it okay? Yeah? Okay, cool. Um, so, how many people are familiar with Te Whare Huka Huka? The organisation have some background at least about it. Okay, so for a lot of us, we're still uh, unfamiliar with it, so I'll give a bit of a uh, background around the context of it. We've heard from Lou so far some of the journey that social enterprise has been on as a sector, some of the challenges and some of the work that's been done to ensure that there's the right structures kind of coming and that um, as a sector it's kind of being prioritised because we know right around the world it's gaining traction. It's a new way of doing better business, business that's actually focused on creating social value um, alongside financial value. And then Christina's given us a great example as well, and thank you, Payroll, around how they have actually um, created a business that does just that. Um, Te Whare Huka Huka is kind of an interesting example because we are ourselves a social enterprise, so we're a bit of a case study, but we're also an enabler of many other social enterprises, particularly Māori organisations. We've worked with about 105 around the country. They're usually collectively owned, they hold assets, and they have a social mandate, an environmental mandate, so they care primarily about creating good in their communities, but they want a way to sustain that, and they use their asset base to do that, or at least their intention is to use their asset base to do that. We kind of think of Te Whare Huka Huka jokingly like the Ice House meets Akina meets the Institute of Directors. So we kind of do a bit of governance stuff, a bit of business growth stuff, um, and a bit of social enterprise kind of work capability building as well. We came out of the Ice House, so we, we essentially were a unit in there to begin with, and so we were, we were kind of getting um, a whole lot of resources wrapped around us and supported really well, like, like it's like this concept called intrapreneurship, where you're actually doing entrepreneurial activity and setting up a new venture, but inside an existing organization, which actually is another way in which some of your organizations may be able to support social enterprises to spawn, and those social enterprises might even be the innovative edge that helps lead your organization into the future, given the pace at which disruption is happening. But um, I, I digress. So Te Whare Huka Huka came out of the Ice House, um, it was the Māori unit of that, and we realised actually to be true to our mission of 
enabling Māori organisations and our vision of improving the lives of 10 million Indigenous people, we really needed to have our own organisation that was run by Māori, that had a Māori-specific strategy and that wasn't beholden to the broader strategy of the Ice House because um, given that you know the, the strategies of big organisations might change quite a lot and this being a fleet-footed kind of niche side um, unit, it may have, not, have become uh, not a priority in the future. We didn't want that to happen so we pulled it out of the Ice House and we've uh, established it as its own social enterprise and boy what a journey that's been. So um, what I thought I'd do is start with this slide because what this sets out is what we term our theory of change. Now, we, we came up with this thing, this thing we call a theory of change, before we were aware that there's actually a, a, a thing called a theory of change. So this may not tickle the technical boxes of what's supposed to be in there, but for us it communicates the story of how what we do creates scalable change and enables the future that we want to see. So if I just walk us through the different boxes here, because I'm conscious that we may not be able to read all of it. The first box there is empowering leaders, the second is strengthening organisations, and the third is connecting the dots. So essentially, if we do these three things really well with Māori organisations, if we can build the capability, the confidence, and the focus of the Māori leaders, empower them, and then if we can strengthen their organisations in terms of like the systems and the processes and the strategies, and if we can connect the dots, if we can connect them with funders, partners, customers, potential investors, um, experts who have really important skill sets, if we can do those three things, then we believe this that our organisations, our Māori organisations, are going to increase their impact. They're going to be far more resilient and strong. They're going to have good foundations in place, and their social impact's going to be able to be a lot higher because of that. So when, they're, you know, when, when they are stronger like that, when they're empowered, when they've got strong systems in place and when they're well connected with the ecosystem, then they're going to be more successful, more sustainable um, and more profitable, right? Which is a great story. That's kind of what the social enterprise dream is, to have organisations that have increased financial and social impact. If we do that at scale, moving around to the, the bottom box there, we get thriving communities. So we're actually seeing many different social enterprises all pumping out incredible social impact, doing that in all of our communities. That's going to start to lift a lot of the, or, or help uh, solve and address a lot of the challenges inside our communities. We're going to see things like employment, increasing of employment. We're going to see better social and cultural outcomes because a lot of the time that's what these Māori organisations are working on. And we're going to see a lot of more of community pride as well, just knowing that their local organisation, that they're a stakeholder in, is successful and, and therefore is a bit of a beacon of hope for them in their community. And then moving around to the last box there, when we do that at scale, in New Zealand and across the world, then we're going to set a new norm or a new status quo of what it means to be indigenous and successful. Those two things can be considered in the same sentence in the mind of, of indigenous people who might otherwise have been told a different narrative or might have a different narrative and reinforced to them every day. And so that's kind of what we're working on, building capabilities, strengthening organisations, connecting dots, because then we'll increase the impact of Māori organisations, which helps their communities to thrive. And when we have many Māori thriving communities, we're going to have a completely new norm for what it means to be Māori and successful. So this is kind of like our theory of change, right? Which is a story about how we do what we do. And I think this is a useful tool to consider when you're engaging in discussions with organisations that you may be interested to support 
but who might not be charitable entities or the, of the type that you're traditionally used to funding. Because when they're able to articulate how they do what they do, you're able to get a far better sense of where, where their impact is being felt or the impact that they're seeking to achieve. And I think in this regard, impact then can take the, uh, can be the focus of the conversation more so than purely structure. So that's why we do that. And that's kind of our theory of change. What we learn to, like, so if I just go back, that's titled what we used to think would create the most impact. Now, not to say we've deviated from our theory of change, but what we have done is realized, ah, a lot of this kind of work where we're building capability of Māori organizations, that's grant funded. There's no sustainability in that model. And not only that, a lot of the organizations we were working with, they are also grant funded. And so like, there was not this kind of inevitable sustainability at the end of it. And so what we were finding is that we were, um, tech is coming. That we were strengthening their organizations, we were strengthening their governance, we were strengthening their strategy, we were helping them get um, really great succession planning in place, all great things. All the outcomes we were actually being um, sought to achieve by our philanthropic funders, and yet the organizations didn't have uh, financially sustainable models, and neither did we. And so actually, all of that work kind of is for nothing when there's no sustainability beyond the very funding that's enabling it to happen. So what we realized in there is that, okay, cool, just because we as an organization, as a social enterprise, are delivering really great impact in terms of the quality of our training, and it was evaluated by government, and won a number of awards, it was bloody good training, but that didn't inevitably lead to sustainability. So we're like, okay, these are two totally different things, delivering social impact and creating sustainability. Now, that's, yeah, we should have known that earlier. We did know that earlier, but of course, when you're, when you're in a certain model, you either continue to perpetuate and grow inside that model, or you have to literally like evolve out of it, and that's very hard to do, because all the energy is currently focused on delivering the impact, and you've got to have a separate team or a whole lot of other resources focused on suddenly building your sustainability model. So that's the journey that we went on. And just to give you a sense of it, like we were, we were growing, we were doubling every year. Year on year we were doubling. And, and so that sounds great as well. Oh cool, this organization's growing. Well, when we looked at the, the sources of our income, what we found is proportionately there was no change. So 30% of our model was still based off government funding. 30% of our model was still based off philanthropic funding. And 30% was kind of coming from other sources and sort of small consulting gigs on the side. So what that meant is actually over time our demand for more philanthropic and government funding was just growing and growing and growing. So we were becoming no more sustainable in proportion of our revenue streams, even though it looked like a great story because our organization was doubling every year. So we went, you know what? That's a dumb model, we need to evolve. So we evolved. And so now we have two organizations in our structure. Te Whare Huka Huka is there to build the capability of Māori organizations. And our second organization called Nuku is another social enterprise, which is the money maker. And this one sells products into the US market via e-commerce to generate revenue. And that revenue then sustains our team, a team bigger than just as required in Nuku to also work with Māori organisations to build capability. But in fact, it goes a level deeper than that in terms of the, um, the interrelationship between the two. It's not just that one funds the other. Actually, when Māori organisations are really strong in their foundation, in their strategy, and have 
primary sector businesses ready to go global, Nuku's the vehicle that's actually helping them validate a product overseas, um, understand where in the supply chain they can play, build a brand, and um, take those organizations global as well as well in terms of selling their products and services. So there's this nice kind of circular flow here whereby Nuku's providing the capital to Te Whare Huka Huka to do that initial setup work. Te Whare Huka Huka is then enabling these Māori organisations to build their foundations to a point at which they're ready to go global and that hands them back to Nuku to then do all of that commercialisation work alongside and in partnership with Māori organisations. So that's just an example for you of how we've evolved our structure from what was really... Um, it was really charitable work masquerading as social enterprise because, in fact, we didn't have a sustainable business model to now actually trying to embed a sustainable model at the essence of what we do and yet still deliver the same uh, impact. So it's a little bit about Te Whare Huka Huka. I just wanted to touch on a couple of these things which were some of the mindsets that we came across along our journey. We were lucky to have some fantastic charitable funders incredible trust that they placed in us, given that we did not have it, we, we are not a charitable entity, we haven't set that up in our structure, because like Lou mentioned, it would cost us $25,000 a year and all the complexity with it. We just weren't down for that, and we hold true to the idea, no, we won't, we will demonstrate that we don't need a charitable structure to deliver great social impact, and to do that in a very high trust environment with uh, charitable and philanthropic funders. But these are some of the mindsets that we have come across and have had to navigate through. And they're just to be aware of because I don't think they need to limit us. They don't even need to really exist, to be honest. So if we just talk through some of those. So the first is around that making profit is a bad thing. Now, hopefully we know that it's not, but we have come across that. The second is that we can only fund charitable entities. Well, that's probably not actually true. Sometimes it might be true based on your trust deed, but Trust deeds can be evolved and should be evolved as the, the changing context presents itself. Um, we had other ones there around social enterprise founders can't hold equity. Again, we don't really agree with that because we like the idea of aligning the aspirations of those that are putting all that energy in, taking no salary for two years like we did to make this thing work, as well as the philanthropic funders who want the impact. Um, we've also come across this idea that, well, we'll fund the social aspect of what you do, and then you guys, it's cool that you want to do sustainability, but you go focus on that over there, and you find your own funding for that. Well, that's cool too, but actually it's, actually, it's a lot of work and a lot of money required to build a sustainable model. So there's, a, there's potential here to also look at not just funding the social impact work that an organisation is doing, but directly funding their economic engine activity. And more recently, we've had a few really strong relationships with big philanthropics in New Zealand who have funded us specifically to set up Nuku and get that organisation humming because they realise, well, if these guys become sustainable, we, ne we can wave goodbye to them and they never have to come back. So they've given us what they term exit grants, which have been very generous. Um, unfortunate, though, I think, because, um, you know, it's one sustainability grant may not be enough. The process of setting up a new business, particularly one that's going to carry a whole lot of operations uh, for another organisation like our, in our model, that's, that's a lot of um, uh, capital required and it, it may be required over a number of times. And even just setting up a standard startup, your, you know, a startup might 
cost a lot of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, uh, in cash flow or in capital. And so there's potential there to consider how do we not just give one sustainability grant, but let's do that several times upon achievement of milestones or upon seeing progress of them developing their sustainability model. Um, and then some of these other things were kind of more, more as we were sort of talking the business lingo, hey, we need to outsource certain expertise over here to be cost effective, and we're using business jargon and, and things, and people didn't really like that. Um, and then also reporting templates. Oh my gosh, those things are just the bane of my existence. So what we've loved is to see a number of our uh, supporting funders have adopted this concept of having roundtable reporting and a far more high trust environment of reporting than just having to write like a five page thing with an account of all the expenses and stuff. That, that stuff really I don't think adds any value to anybody because what it doesn't do is focus on the learning. It doesn't focus on what are the key things that you've been innovating, testing, and what's the learning that's come from that and how are you, how are you going to then take that learning and, and build from that and progress. So that's a little bit about the journey at Te Whare Huka Huka and I think it, it helps give us a bit of a sense of social enterprise, the journey from kind of charity into social enterprise, as well as how we might reframe our thinking from purely funding structure to actually funding impact when we buy into the particular theory of change that an organisation has. Kia ora tato. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that session. Have a look in the show notes for some links to different things that were mentioned. And if you did like it, then consider checking out some of the earlier episodes as well, because there's more than 100 in the back catalog now. Until next time.